Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, and I'm so glad to be here with you again for this week's episode, which is all about what it's like to go from soldier to business strategist for women entrepreneurs. Actually, the way my guest military experience shaped her life is super interesting. Her name is Callie Shelton, and I can't wait for you to meet her. If this is the first time you're listening, welcome. I am so glad you're here. I think you're going to like it around here. (laughs) I really do. We're all about doing this midlife thing together and laughing a little bit along the way. Sometimes it's about chin hair. Sometimes it's about bad underwear. Whatever the case, we are here for you. Now, this episode is sponsored by something new that's going to be launching soon that I want to tell you about. It's called the Finally First Midlife Membership. Finally First is a life-changing, upbeat virtual community for midlife women just like you. You can make this your favorite one-stop shop for all of the midlife coaching, mindfulness, and guidance you need from me, Susie Rosenstein, your Master Certified Life Coach. As you may know, I trained at the Life Coach School where I'm also an instructor, and I am super confident about how I can help you create the future that you want. I know what it's like to feel stuck, and I know what it's like to feel like you are wasting valuable time. I also know what it's like to feel confused about what it is that you want and also confused about how to move forward. So you're confused about what you want and how to actually do something about it. And you know, all this is going on with that backdrop of that that hypersensitivity to time flying by and the pressure, pressure, pressure to get going. Does any of this sound familiar? That's why this membership is so great. Not only will you learn tools and mindset strategies to give you the clarity you need to grow forward, but you're also going to get to connect with an amazing bunch of like-minded women. These women are like you. They know what it's like to be in a midlife funk, and they are ready to bust out and get excited about their lives again. So if you're super ready to have more fun and feel amazing about finally having a GPS for your future, this membership is for you. Here's all you need to do right now. Just get on the VIP waitlist. That is it. Sign up for updates and launch information there, and that's how you can stay connected so you'll hear about all of the details first. The Finally First Midlife Membership is here to help you put yourself first and get the midlife support and community that you've been looking for. It's where you need to be, and quite frankly, it won't be the same without you, seriously. So you just better get over there. Your voice and experience are needed. They're valuable, and they will help other amazing women in the middle too. So head over to www.coachwithsusie.com forward slash membership and sign up for the wait list now so you're in the loop and don't miss a thing. You never know. It is usually a pretty good idea to get on a wait list like this, right? I'm just saying, sometimes there's surprises. Okay, let's dive in. As I mentioned, I have someone really interesting for you to meet. I met her because she was one of my business coaches in a business mastermind I was in recently. One day she mentioned her military experience in terms of the lessons that she learned that helped her in business and life. And I knew that she would make a great podcast guest. As I mentioned, her name is Calvina 
Callie Shelton. She's a business strategist and launch coach, partnering with multi-passionate service-based women entrepreneurs that are transitioning from corporate back into full-time BOW CEOs. Calvina went from soldier to engineer to project manager to business strategist for service-based women entrepreneurs. She noticed that leadership was a common theme throughout her careers. To be more exact, she became conscious of empowering leadership. What this means is that her intent is to build other leaders. That's her jam. She helps women make the transition from corporate burnout to more aligned and profitable businesses. As Callie puts it, the integration of the spiritual and practical is the foundation of her work. Her goal is to help women to navigate the online space by planning strategically, launching sanely, and leading consciously, all while walking more fully in their authority and divine power. This mission perpetuates a new paradigm where women live and leave a legacy of boundless abundance. Please enjoy this interview. Hi, Callie. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Hi, Susie. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Awesome. So one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you was I haven't talked to anybody yet who had a background in the military. And I just find that so interesting uh, because when I met you, I met you through a business mastermind type of experience. And I could tell that your guidance and your wisdom was coming from a little bit of a different place. And I picked up on it and I thought, ooh, I need to talk to her some more. Interesting. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about that decision to go into the military where you were younger. And then we're going to talk about how it's affected your life. So what was that like for you being so young and making such a decision like that? Well, um, I was getting out of high school and I asked myself, okay, are we going to do this college thing? Um, And of course, you know, you ask yourself before you're graduating. However, I hadn't really made the decision. So I had applied to a few schools, uh, got in, tried a semester that did not work out well for me. And my mother said, okay, you got to do something. (laughs) Like what you can't do is uh, be here and just work. Cause I, you know, I um, dropped out of school. Then I just was home and working. And my mom was like, okay, this isn't it for you. And I was like, yeah, no, but I don't know what else to do. I come from a military family, mind you. My father was in the Navy. I have uncles and aunts and cousins who were um, sailors, soldiers, Marines. So I really come from a military um, service um, um, family. And And also I was in JRTC when I was in high school. So it's interesting that I kind of avoided the decision for so long. However, I was talking to a cousin one day and just telling her about just some of the things that I was dealing with in this kind of transitional space in my life between um, graduating high school, trying college out, but that not really feeling like a good fit at the time for me. Um, And she was like, okay, you know, we all come, you know, have come from the service. Why don't you go into the army? I was like, eh, I guess. Um, And so I said, okay, fine. Right make some decision. Let's, let's do something. Cause I know I didn't want to stay. I'm originally from Richmond, Virginia. I didn't want to stay there. Um, long-term that just, that's not the vision that I saw for my life. 
And it was one of the best decisions that I ever made. Uh, she pulled in some of her buddies, some connections, and was like, this is my cousin. Make sure you look out for her. I took a few tests. My, um, the fact that I was in JRTC in, in high school helped. And come to find out, it was a great opportunity um, because I thought I was just going to go in and do something very basic. But come to find out, the Army really set me up for my career uh, going forward. So, so what is JRTC exactly? So it's junior something, something, something. But basically what it is, it's taking a lot of the military structure, the basic foundational teachings of the um, military, and putting young kids through that program during high school. So it's really trying to take young minds and help to mold them earlier rather than later, especially during those kind of formative, those are still formative years as you're going through high school. Oh, yeah. Really trying to set you up with a structure um, and focus, helping you to really focus um, in a lot of ways. And that, again, that was very much a blessing. There's been a lot of people that have been connected to like that program that really spoke um, a vision and prophecy over my life when it came to me being in the military. Because even my commanders then saw it. Yeah, that's so interesting. So tell me just a little bit about what was the problem with college? Like, why wasn't that a good fit for you? So at the time, I just wasn't focused. Mm -hmm. I wasn't focused in the sense of, I really didn't know why I was going to college. I didn't know why I was going to college. I was like, um, so I want to, because my mother um, was a nurse. Um, My father was an entrepreneur. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go to college and maybe become a doctor because my father had ended up with cancer when I was uh, 13 and passed away. So I was, you know, that childhood, loved ER, you know, on TV, (laughs) go and be a doctor, you know? (laughs) So like I had these grandiose types of visions, um, but still no true, um, like no true blue focus of what it is that I was going to college to do other than have a really good time. Ah, okay. So did you know that you didn't have focus then? Like, did you know that that was what was going to be appealing about the military? Um, I knew that, I just knew it wasn't, this wasn't it. Mm. I don't think I had my finger on the pulse enough to be like, oh, you're not focused. So this isn't it. I just knew this wasn't it. This isn't the, the thing for me. School at this point just wasn't, yeah. it wasn't it. Oh, you're so young at that point, right? It's hard to know anything. (laughs) Right, right, right. And I've been very much mature in a lot of other ways in my life. Um, And maybe too, that was a space subconsciously. I was allowing myself to just be unsure and uncertain about something. Mm, But that's a very expensive place to be. Totally. It's so interesting, too, that that so many people in your family had been in the military, but it wasn't top of mind until it was your cousin who mentioned something, right? So It wasn't. It wasn't. But a lot of my um, family had, that I um, had been, that I'd encountered and been in connection with, they had either been deployed at some point, and it wasn't the greatest of experiences. And they weren't 
super advocates of the military, like, oh, you must go into the service. You know, they were, they were like, look, make your decision, do what it is that you want to do. This was a great footstool for me. It wasn't the best experience all the time. However, you know, it's an option. So how long were you in the military? I was in uh, a little over five years. I got um, extended. Uh, I was, it was going to only be four, but I got extended because I got deployed right there at the end <laughs> of my, um, of my service career. I was supposed to ETS basically get out of the military and they were like, up, oh, hold on there. There's this thing called a war that's happening over in these deserts called Iraq. <laughs> so they were like, hold on. Um, and plus I was one, I was in a unit um, that was the first to be mobilized with this new um, be- weaponized vehicle and all of that good stuff. And we all had trained together for over the last like three plus years. Cause I was in, once I got to permanent, what they call permanent party, basically where you're stationed. A lot of times you move like after two, maybe three years, you'll move. But this particular unit they had brought together for a reason because of our special um, training and trained us all together. And then they were like, no, we're not going to break you all apart. So you, you stay here with us. <laughs> then you deploy with this unit. And so I ended up getting extended. Wow. And how long were you deployed? A year. I was deployed for a year. Um, and then once I came back, um, of course, they gave the option to re-up re or to um, to get out of the service. And I chose. I'm like, okay, it's time to go. That's enough. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. You know, I have this um, image that really what you were doing reminds me of kind of, you know, it's a big school project, really. You were working so closely with people you had to trust them. You had to rely on each other to do things. So really, you were getting quite an education in a very okay. different way. What was that like? Most certainly. Um, talk about really learning how to trust another human being with your life, literally. Like literally, regardless of um, whatever quabbles and you know, disagreements you may have, like when it comes to the bare basics, this person has your life in their hands and vice versa. And it's something about being able to just put, set aside differences and say, okay, this is the mission at hand. And I, that is something that I learned most certainly when I, during my time in the military that has stuck with me throughout my life. Like, okay, we can put, we can set aside differences, but this is our common goal and let's push through, you know, and get it done. Right. Um, and of course I learned that in life threatening type of, in a life threatening environment, very much so. Um, of course they can train you on all of those things, but man, seeing it in action, it was really, really real. Um, so though that was one key thing that I definitely learned during my time there in the military. And then also just being exposed to people from di- even more people from different walks of life and being able to see <laughs> your commonalities and a lot of your differences and still being okay. 
<laughs> you know, um, and also, man, I had a lot of fun within a contained space. Because even though, yeah, even though I didn't go to college, trust me, we did a lot of college type of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely did. Um, it was just in, in um, more, the things we had to do outside of that were much more uh, rigorous and strenuous. <laughs> what was it like uh, being a woman in that environment? Ooh, now that's interesting. Um, it was both challenging at times and fulfilling um, because as we know, the military is just very much um, male still to this day, male based. Um, but it was interesting to be in an environment where I'm not just a woman, but I'm a black woman. Um, I'm a dark skinned black woman. And it's just interesting to, again, as you meet other people <laughs> and you think about perspectives and then you really, I think that was my first time seeing um, in certain ways a level of systematic like racism that's definitely there um, and sexism that's definitely there uh, because we have to understand, I mean, understanding the military and its history and any system that has been built up, you know, to advance one particular type of person and there, you know, be an advantage for them as you are the opposite of that or different from that and coming through, it's just, it's a, it's challenging to continue to um, move that forward. But man, I mean, I had some, also some great times as well, because that is where I really saw the definition of leadership, mm -hmm. you know, and a number of them were white males um, and true leadership from like being able to see women in an elevated, you know, positions, you know, those types of things. So that's, that, that was the juxtaposition of seeing a lot of things that were um, either attempting to change or still very um, hard and structured um, that weren't very much looking to advance, but also seeing where um, like a microcosm of the country and, you know, as a whole where we were. Yeah, definitely advancing in a lot of ways. And I was also in um, an interesting field they call military intelligence. And again, it's not a lot of us, you know, there. So it's, and it's so, I can tell you, my military experience has been um, very much, it's almost like it was carbon copied when it came into, when I, you know, got out and into my career. Well, that's, that's what I'm really interested in. So on the podcast, I really love to zone in on transition points because what typically happens is women in the middle are, you know, I call it a midlife funk and we get all funky and it's time for a big tr transition and, and a time for a change because we start to feel like, well, there's got to be more. Is this all there is? That yeah. sort of thing, right? And I've noticed uh, a lot of similarity with um, young adults in their 20s, mm -hmm. also hitting kind of a midlife funk and not in midlife, because really what we're talking about is not just age, but also stage. Yeah. So with you, your military phase really marked a period mm -hmm. of your life. And it, I can't even, I absolutely cannot even imagine what it's like to be in the military and then come back to 
home or wherever mm-hmm. you went. Tell us a little about that transition. And I know you have a, an early midlife funk that we need to hear about too. So yes. Yes, <laughs> tell me yes. all about it. So um, that transition, it was interesting. Um, even just when I was in the military and visiting home, because I had come, when I was home, of course, there was the structure of home, but it not being as, because, um, you know, it's your mom. And, you know, my dad had passed on by then. Um, and the level of leniency that you may have there is different when you go into the military and it's like, look, this is where you will be. This is what you will do. So I really had changed, you know, and coming back into um, what one might call my old pond, I was, I felt like a little fish out of water, but also it was comforting to be with, you know, old friends who would still, who were still there and how they had advanced in their life. Um, and just experiencing that world as a different person. Um, so that was very interesting. Uh, so the transition of getting out of the military, and like I said, it was not long after I had deployed, um, and I was a gunner, you know, meaning I was standing on back of trucks with big weapons, uh, on top of the fact that, you know, I was military, uh, doing a, an analyst job. Uh, so I had some very, very unique experiences. Very I can't unique. even imagine, like you're a major badass and then you're coming back into a much quieter, calmer situation at home. Yes, very, very, <laughs> very much so. And that is, I'm sure um, a lot of veterans uh, will tell you that is the harder part is because you're not is a certain level of readiness that you're that you are mentally and even physically and I think physiologically um, that you are when you're in um, a war of course a war type a war situation but also even when you're just in the military because you never know you know you could get called up at any time because hey 9-11 that's exactly what happened mm. and um so it's it's interesting it's an interesting transition to learn how to focus that energy in a different way and then place it in a world that isn't so familiar with how to best handle you which is why I think I ended up in a job where I was working still working with military people because they mm. They understood my language, my jargon. I understood their life. Um, so when did you I look got, for that? Did you look for that specifically? Um, I did because I actually thought about it as I was starting to transition mm-hmm. out of the military. And I want to say what happened then is my passion for people was also very much grounded and rooted during my time there. I wanted to still be connected to the mission. I wanted to still help support the soldiers and the airmen and the Marines, right? Um, that were still in action, right? Cause it wasn't over obviously, you know, when I left. Uh, so I, I was still very invested. I just didn't want to do it in that way again. Right. So I did, I specifically look for a position where I could be of service in some sort of way to 
and be a voice as well. Yeah. Now, did you have specific training that gave you a job title? Um, a certain kind of credential yeah. at that point? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's so many trainings that you can go through um, in the military. First off, just what you are trained for with your job. And again, very blessed. I got a, um, I had a specialized MOS, which is like your, basically like your job title. What they train you go, it's like you going to, you go to school. I went to, yeah. you know, definitely went to school for, um, for my specialization. And so that put me in a different category and have had a different set of skills that I would maybe if um, I had done something, but they all, it all equates because even if I had done administration, right, that's still something that when you go out into the civilian, what we call the civilian world, um, it equates to like business administration. Yeah. You come in and do, you know, and then the leadership training that you get, um, that helps you get to a level, a certain level of management and those types of things. Were so you, an, they, were you kind of like an engineer? When I was in the military? No. But when I got out, I did, I was mm-hmm. the, um, where I ended up a uh, long-term in the sense of, um, my focus around software and systems. Yeah that's when I transitioned honestly more so into an engineer. Um, but when I was in the military, not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have called myself an engineer. It was more of an analyst, um, taking information. Like it was very much around information systems, um, which is where the software thing kind of latched on, um, and translating that information into intelligible things and, action plans and all of that type of stuff. Yes. So I, I-, I kind of see it now where you <laughs> now I see it because I didn't know any of this background. So what happened then? How long did you do this type of work before you kind of got a little funky? Oh my. Um, so transitioned out of the military, went into uh, become a government contractor, um, doing a lot of the same work initially, uh, then eventually really found my place where, uh, like I said, the software systems piece was really important, but how it related to end users and them using it and making sure that those who we were saying that we were empowering, that we actually were. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, their, yeah, their voice is actually being heard and translated back uh, into the things that we were, you know, the softwares and the tools that we were creating. So I did that for, uh, gosh, about 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, as a whole, but when it really, I, my funk started probably about like around my early Mm thirties where I felt like, okay, what's happening? (laughs) (laughs) What's happening here? Cause mama, you should be good. Um, cause by that time, um, like I said, very much blessed by the experience that I had before and the, um, the experience that I had in my career outside, you know, of the military and being in government service, I had those ladders I was climbing, 
Yeah. The and the promotions were coming, the salary increases were coming, um, like without question, you know, still doing the work there and being impactful um, in a lot of ways. Purchased my first house, then it was like, oh, I can purchase another house. Oh, they're still, okay, let's do that. We'll turn that into a rental property. Um, But I think where I knew something was going on, I had purchased my first house. I was in my first house probably about eight or nine months. And I was like, I don't want to be here. I remember telling my cousin, I was like, I just bought this house. How am I thinking about sell? How am I thinking about selling this house? Because an opportunity had presented itself for me to go to um, Miami and work, you know, on a a contract there. And um, that was so intriguing to me because it was just a change. I I had gotten to a space like I feel, I felt like I needed a change. And this was something that I didn't understand about myself that I, I like shaking it up a little bit, you know, staying stagnant in one place may not necessarily serve me. Yeah. And a house is really putting down roots. And I think that that was a trigger. (laughs) So it's funny because sometimes a wake up call doesn't look like a wake up call. It doesn't. Right. Uh, Having a house, buying a house is a huge accomplishment for so many of us. And you were so young when you did it. Right. But it shook you up. It did. Yeah. It did wholeheartedly because it was, um, it was before I had turned 30. I bought my first house. My, that wasn't something that um, my parents had done. You know, it, my, the house that I grew up in was inherited from my father's parents. And, you know, things had happened and we ended up having to move out of that home. So, like, that wasn't a thing, right? It's huge. Or, I wasn't even thinking about it at that age. Like, it wasn't anywhere near a realm of possibility for me. So that's really was, something. And this is the thing. I wasn't an anomaly. I was like almost one of the last ones in my friend group to buy, purchase a home. Wow. We were all, you know, like, and, and I was like, oh, wait, y'all buying a house? Let me get a house. <laughs> oh, is this what we're doing now? <laughs> we're buying houses? Fine. Okay. I'll find me one and I'll buy one. <laughs> like, what is, what is this life? Um, and so that was the thing, you know, we had all... Um, and that was, the, that was another note. I noticed that all of us were kind of in that same cycle. Like, yo, we've, we've done well for ourselves. We, um, we're making great money. We are um, very much trusted in our careers and in our fields. Uh, we have material things that look like success. Anybody looking from the outside in would be like, and what's wrong with you? <laughs> Yeah, things are looking pretty good from the outside. So what did you start to notice? Um, you, you, The Miami thing looked really good and that created a conflict. Yeah. What else did you the notice? The Miami thing looked really good. Um, and I went, you know, I went. I thought the change of scenery would do it, right? Um, but I, was, I ended up only being there for a year and was like, okay, I got to come back, you know? Um, but it's interesting. I think it's very interesting how things can come up in your life and present itself. Um, Cause there were, there were um, some things that happened on that contract that like kept us out of work, out of work. We were still being paid though. Um, 
again, blessing, grace, grace, favor, <laughs> always over my life. But it was a time for me to sit and reflect of like, okay, is this what you want to be doing? Like, are you in the right place? Um, it's like those moments would come of, is this what God has led you to do? And are you really being, are you really listening or are you just going with the flow? And yeah, the autopilot thinking and spinning and, you know, just doing stuff, it really um, can take over. Yeah. I noticed I was doing that for 15 years because I was in a pretty much of a chaotic blur of having children and buying that first house, getting married. Like that's, it's pretty chaotic there for a while. And yeah. this is a really common thing in midlife. Like you definitely started your focused, serious professional life earlier than many people do. Right. And that's why I think the midlife funk is really a stage and not an age. It's like you kind of stepped on the gas there when you went into the military. You got exceptionally prepared mm-hmm. and qualified and skilled. Had no trouble getting on a professional career path. And there you Very were. Much. Right. Exactly. And I, I honestly, I think my funk lasted probably about six or seven years. Oh, yeah. Mine before. was five. Easy, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And just trying to find other things that would fill it. And another, so you were asking, like, what were some of the signs? Some of the signs signs were, well, I always thought that I was very much an extroverted person. Again, I think a part of it is not knowing yourself. Um, I had always been in areas where I wasn't necessarily focused on me, but I may have been focused very much on someone else, Mm -hmm. right? Or um, the mission, you know, or uh, taking care of someone, right? which is very interesting. And so I didn't know as much about myself as I, as one could, should, you know, would if given the opportunity. So when I had those pockets of silence, I was like, Ooh, this don't feel good. I don't know if I like this. (laughs) Wow. But I can see the threads. Like, I don't, I I don't know that you saw them at that time because I, I didn't see this in when I was going through this funky phase, but the threads of what you're passionate about are there. You know, so the leadership, you were always attracted to leadership. You thrived in that situation. Mm -hmm. You were very attracted and passionate about service, although you needed a break and you needed a bit of time to reflect inward. Yeah. Um, You liked structure. You liked focus. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I can see it because I know you now. I didn't know you then. Right. Uh, But what was it that kind of gave you the clarity to do the next thing? The, it came when I remember specifically when I was in a job and came up, came up against a, not against is a harsh word, but I encountered a leader who presented themselves as being compassionate, but as time went on, um, it just was a reflection of all the other leaders that I'd encountered, leaders, and I put that in quotes, that I encountered that were just very self-serving. And that I know, I just really, it was something that I had noticed over my career and things of that nature, but it's like, it just became so very clear. Like, this is something I've been saying a lot. Like, even when I was a young little private, it was like, it's about respect, respecting those who help you to move things forward. Um, So like that servant leadership, and I had gotten introduced to this project management concept called agile, but it was, it's very servant leadership focused. And I had never 
heard it from that perspective before. Mm -hmm. And that's something I really latched on to. So um, my experience with being that type of servant leader. And so I come up against this, um, encountered this leader who was just that culmination of um, manipulation in a way that was very self-serving and just not interested in pouring into people so that Mm. the people who were there to help move the mission and the vision forward, like it was more about like dragging them down and it started to like people really were coming into their workspace, like on edge. Right. Who can be productive? (laughs) Who can be their best selves in that type of environment? No one, I don't care what type of face or facade you put on. You are not coming to the table. I'm not getting all, all of you. If you feel stifled and like always at, you know, up at arms and like anything that I might say or do might get a snap. From yeah, you exactly. Or some, or some type of underhanded snap. So I um, encountered that environment that's, that was becoming the work environment and me being who I am. Um, at that time, the way that I spoke up had become more polished because I was usually <laughs> the more opinionated, like, this is some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> look, young, look, young private Shelton was very much the, this makes no sense. Why are we fucking doing this? Bata, bata. Um, you know, project manager Shelton is <laughs> <laughs> more like, maybe this is the best approach and we can discuss this, you know, at a later date, but let's go ahead and stay focused here so that we can have an action that we can move forward with. I think everybody would be good with that. Yes. (laughs) Great. Um, (laughs) So my approach was different and um, I was willing to then literally have that conversation and say, Hey, Hey there, friend. Um, But knowing, so that, that happened. um, And because when you're the person who's willing to have that conversation, it's not always met with, oh my gosh, (laughs) I didn't even think about it that way. And leaders like that, typically they're not asking for feedback. (laughs) They are not, even though they say they are. And it was so funny. That's what, that's exactly who he was. He was like, oh, just let me know, open door policy and this. And would even ask, <laughs> and I would all something I would always say, and my colleagues would say, if you don't want to know the truth, don't ask Caldina. <laughs> don't ask her. You know, it's best to just let it be. And um, my friends have said that as well. Uh, so that was, I feel like, was the the straw of like this isn't the environment where I can make the most change that I feel called to do. And because of that, um, I said, okay, there has to be, there's another place. And so it's, which funny, again, I have had, like I said, these moments of like sitting down, (laughs) you know, quiet moments, because before I had that job, um, I was working for a software development company. Contracts don't always go well. 
and don't come in when you expect. And we had gotten to a point where we were getting ready to um, need to release our, you know, sea level um, leadership. And I was right there before sea level. So I was like that middle manager mm-hmm. and they were like, it's not happening. Alvina, so we don't have to let you go. So I had gotten laid off and I said, okay, I'm, this is going to be it. I'm just going to go ahead and be more focused on um, this business that I feel like I'm called to do. But I got scared and I applied for a job like about three months later. because I was So like, the business you got called to do was an idea about being an entrepreneur? It was. It was very much about um, becoming an entrepreneur and taking that thing that has been buzzing in me about conscious leadership, mm. about um, really bringing some of the corporate structures into entrepreneurship. Right. You know what I mean? Because we cast away, you know, it's, I mean, I was guilty of it at a point too, of like, oh, these corporate chains <laughs> set us free, you know, and you get rid of all of the structure and all of the discipline that's yeah. so required. <laughs> yeah. And you're attracted to it. So <laughs> So trying to figure out a way to bring it all together, but it's so common to be afraid of being an entrepreneur and to take a leap. Right. Um, I'm sure, well, oh, yeah. we've, oh. so many of us have experienced that. It's scary. It's so scary. <laughs> it's so scary. So I had done that and I was like, okay. And I applied for a job, got the job. Um, but it was a period between the time that I had gotten accepted for the job and actually went on site that I literally drove Susie for an hour every day to our office for me to sit and hope that some other little um, side projects would come that you could kind of focus because um, in the industry I was in, you had a clearance. So basically people saying like, yep, your background's good. You can have access to certain information. Um, But there are different um, organizations that may handle that access of, yes, she's good. From this system to this system, it can take a long time for Mm -hmm. that yes to get over to this system that needs to have the yes. And I was doing that for um, four months, four or five months. And that's when I said, okay, Lord, this can't be it. I feel like this is a punishment for me going back into the workforce. But really, (laughs) it was a moment of pause that I needed to make some decisions. And that's when I decided to um, go through my coaching training. To go all in on yourself, on your intuition. Right. And really honoring what you, it was kind of obvious at this point that you'd been called to do something more. Right. You know, that's what I love about, um, even though you were young, you did have a very rich professional career already, right? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I did. You really did. And you had a lot to draw on. But creating that pause, that space to think is something that so many amazing women in the middle are guilty of because on the one hand, we we enjoy being of service and having a full plate. But on the other hand, it can be a very sneaky way of just avoiding negative emotion and not putting yourself first because it does take time to think. And now there's more distraction than ever. I mean, the phone, I like to call a podcast a party in a purse. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Because I just think at least with a podcast, I kind of elevate it to another level of being distracted by your phone. But Uh, at least you're doing something 
that that's by choice. So if you want to learn about anything it is, right. you can say, you know what, I'm going to prioritize this next 20 minutes or so, half hour, and really think about this thing. I'm going to dive in right. versus just being distracted by a game or just scrolling, you know, right, right. I love a good cat video myself. (laughs) Don't get me on Dodo, Dodo's Facebook page. And I'm just like scrolling. Oh, I'm scrolling and crying, crying and scrolling. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) I think I watched a bunch of those yesterday, the dog rescues. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. I know. I really go in deep on Uh, those, but, but you know, you hit the nail on the head with not allowing ourselves, just keeping ourselves so busy that we are distracted and acting on a superficial level, no focus. It's the opposite of focus, mm-hmm. no thinking about what we want. And a lot of times what we want is something more meaningful than what we're doing, yet we're not even allowing ourselves to go there. That's it. That's so, that's so it. And what's another interesting thing about that is sometimes even, even when you're in that space and that time, you still, you don't see it as the gift that it is. Exactly. And, and although I had made some very, um, like, I made some very major decisions that really um, pushed me forward in what I'm doing today, I think they were, they were pockets of awareness, like, okay, I need to, it still was a little bit of that striving of doing, so. all right, I got to do something different. This isn't it. So there, it's got to be something else. And having a moment of being like, well, I mean, you know, you've wanted to do some form of coaching, but my resistance was being called a coach because at that time the coaching industry had turned into this like, ugh, a coach. And, you know, um, so it was just, it was so many little things, but it was a small pocket of like, okay, make this decision because this is the right one moving you forward. However, still being clouded by, being resentful by the fact that I was taking this hour long drive. Um, I didn't see it. I really didn't see it for the beauty that it was until after, until after I had gotten on contract and was like, I would love that hour long drive to listen to my podcast and my audiobooks and to go to a place where it was actually quiet and I could focus on what I wanted to be doing to help exactly. to advance myself. Like it's so interesting. Um, of where I was even on my journey of understanding myself and on my spiritual journey um, at that time. And just sometimes we don't necessarily honor the spaces that we're in when we're actually in them. Yes. And fear, allowing fear to call the shots and fear-based decisions. Oh my gosh. It's such a waste of time. Um, It's just such a waste of time. And I'm very guilty of that too. And And I was so afraid. I didn't even understand why I was afraid um, for five years. I I thought it was something else. But again, if I would have given myself more time to think about it, if I would have gotten more help to sort it out, if I would have hired a coach sooner than I did. That part. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) No, I think I'll just spin and waste some more time. Right. Oh, my God. One time I... One time I did a calculation to see exactly how much time I wasted in that five years. <laughs> it was really scary. I was going to say, did the numbers scare you? It was really, really scary. But you know what? I really do believe that, um, or I choose to think mm. that that happened for me. You oh, know? yes. Oh, yes. And 
that being stuck for that long, being confused about fear, understanding how much fear prevented me from not only being fulfilled, but for helping the people that I feel called to help, right? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. So all of your experience is too, all of them, that stupid drive, that (laughs) weird contract, the Miami thing, the house, the military, Mm -hmm. the deployment, all of it, right? Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. really happened for you because what you're doing now seems to be, it's kind of like it was all wrapped up in a pretty package to what you're doing now. Right, right. It's amazing. And and that's one thing that I, another thing that I'm very passionate about, it is honoring those moments. Because, you know, like we had a moment of being like, Lord, the, we wasted so much time. But really, nothing's wasted exactly. because it can be used, right? Um, now, you can come from the perspective and understanding of being in a space where you may be getting ready to make a decision and you know that it's based and rooted in fear. And you can tell a client like, mm, sis, wait, now, where is this really coming from? And bring a sense of awareness and perspective to them that they were like, oh, yeah, that's not really what I want to do. Exactly. That's just what, you know, my ego may t- be telling me to do or what society is telling me to do or what my parents expected me to do or my spouse or my kids, because they're not going to be okay if I don't do this. I have to take care of them. And you think you're coming from a place of um, being of service to others when you're really just sabotaging yourself. Exactly. And and that ends up not serving anyone at the end of the day, you know. So well said. So well said. So now that you're on the other side of it, Mm. um, tell us exactly what you're doing. It'll be so obvious, I'm sure, what you're doing. <laughs> well, I happen to be a business um, strategist and coach who works with women who are in corporate because they've done the, the um, I had to go back. So they came out, they're in transition basically because they tried their hand at entrepreneurship. It wasn't exactly what they'd expected. You know, um, they got caught up in the whole, uh, course junkie and all of this good stuff. And they went out and it just did the curl, as I like to say, the curl didn't go all the way around. So they went back to what they knew, right? You go back to a, a space of comfort um, and more certainty, but also just to regroup. They didn't, they knew that they know this, not, this isn't the permanent thing. And they're like, okay. And I pushed my quit date back time and time and time again. I need the support that I know I should have gotten the first time to do, make sure that I'm doing it better the second, maybe third, maybe fourth (laughs) time around. So really working with um, women entrepreneurs who are multi-passionate, who really feel like what they are doing in this space outside of their job, like for their actual business is a calling for them. It is a sense of ministry. Um, And I just support them in that area of transition of bringing a lot of that, like not taking and throwing away all of the experience that you've had. Exactly. You know, it serves you in such a beautiful way. And we think that we have to be these different beings because we decided to to become an entrepreneur, that you have to be different, that you have to be something else, or you have to be a mirror image of what you've seen out there. And a lot of the women that I work with are trailblazers, which means that we don't do things the same way. And that can be scary. Yes, it sure can. Because you you don't really know what's possible 
Mm-hmm. And you're too afraid to even think about what's possible. <laughs> right, right. And having those moments of even, and the beauty is having those conversations where they realize, like, you've been a disruptor all of your life, really, you know? Um, and that was a revelation for me. And I needed a coach to kind of help me to see that too, like, oh, um, and sharing more of themselves with the people that they're called to share and just really honoring their story and their voice mm. and incorporating that into what they feel called to do. Cause to me, business is a vehicle for your ministry. You know, um, yeah. you've just decided to do, cause I tell folks I'm a God girl through and through. Yes. I may talk about oils and crystals and an Oracle deck um, and the moon cycles and things of that nature. It's still all God for me, you know? Um, and that's something I was scared to bring to my business the first time around to really talk about that. Mm. Um, and really getting in there and incorporating all parts of you and making sure that you're really building, you know, helping them to build a business that works for them, which means it's going to um, like really be crazy, you know, create crazy results for their clients um, and allow them to be as genuine and authentic as possible when they show up in this space, which of course, when you're aligning with that, the impact that you're making, you know, the legacy that you're building, also living, because that's the key for me, is like, let's live your legacy right now. Um, and then the transformation that comes for you as the business owner, but also for your clients. Yes, that's so, that's so good. And, you know, it's really like nothing's gone wrong. When you're in the middle of one of these funks, it feels like everything's gone wrong. Doesn't it? <laughs> it? Yes, it's like everything is wrong here, but really nothing's gone wrong. Nothing. This is just going to open the door for you. Yeah. Have the insight about what it is that you really want to do, what it is that's really missing, how you right. can be more of service, how you want to make a contribution. And so many times, I would even say maybe even all of the times, it's a beautiful combination, like a sum total mm-hmm. of your journey so far. It is. It is. That's what's so surprising, right? Yeah. Yeah. And just holding on, like grabbing that truth um, and just wallowing in it and resting in that space. Because it makes me think about a podcast I was listening to uh, a few days ago that speaks to that very point that you just said, that there's nothing wrong because what happened happened. Okay. How can I honor that? And how can I bring the wisdom, you know, a meditation that I love to do that helps me to ground and really center um, is about allowing yourself to be in the now releasing what happened, the pain of what happened, but bringing forth the wisdom, you know? Yeah. To separate it out. Yeah. Separate it, you know? Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So what I really love about this is I, I just love talking about a midlife funk, not being an age thing. Yes. And yes. but I would like to welcome you in a few years when you're truly a midlife woman. I want to <laughs> welcome you in because you're kind of a woman in the middle now, a little early because of all this shit that went down. Yes. It's all good. It's all good. We're here for you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the support. <laughs> so tell us, please, how we can uh, get a hold of you. Or if you have something, a website or a freebie, what do you have that people, I'm sure the listeners are going to want to grab? Yes. So I do have a website. You can find me at the lit liberation and that's 
T-H-E-L-I-T, liberation, L-I-B-E-R-A-T-I-O-N. That's a mouthful, right? Dot com. <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to definitely have the link in the show notes. Because <laughs> it really is about liberating your legacy, your impact, and your transformation. Um, doing that now. So you can find me there. You can find me on the interwebs, um, also on Facebook and Instagram, all things Calvina Shelton. Um, you can find me there. Uh, and honest, I have a Facebook group called the After Five Society, where it's we talk all things about transitioning and launching and um, spiritual, like all the stuff that's interesting to me <laughs> that I haven't have, you know, they, they're like, Oh, me too. I'm like, come on in the room. It's a great community of women uh, that I love being of service to. So. Oh, I love that. And yeah. Callie, it's really been a pleasure talking to you because really what you've done is what so many women in the middle want to do, but the path is unclear. The journey is scary. There's really not an appreciation for that. The idea that you're actually on the right track. Yeah. You just need to give yourself more time to think about it and get in the communities that can help you think about it. Exactly. You know, exactly. so must, so many of us are just not connected. We haven't like, worked on these connections and building these communities for the future. We're just still in a lot of the, the groups and communities that we've been in for a long time. And I'm not saying ditch everything, but I am saying thinking about, think about what you want and build the support and the people that you need yes. along the way to grow in that direction. Absolutely. You've done just that. Thank so much you. fun. It's been so much fun to get to know you. Thank and thank you. you so much for sharing this military history and how it really did set you up for an amazing um, way forward. It's been so good. So thanks so much, Callie. I look forward to talking to you soon. Awesome. Thank you, Susie. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode. Callie shared a lot we can learn from, right? Like we've heard so often now with other guests, Callie had to learn to trust herself about being in a funk. She experienced a midlife funk earlier than many. This is common when you have an intense and concentrated career at an early age. That's why I always say that midlife funk is really about age and stage, not just age. She felt that discomfort and she trusted it. She wasn't in alignment. Something was off and she was right. It's so, so good. Okay, my friend, this is something that you can do too. You really have to focus on that feeling of discomfort. Notice those whispers that something is off. Something is just not right. There could be more. There is more. And that's really where it starts. It's noticing that discomfort, noticing that you are feeling a little funky and remembering that you can do something about it. <laughs> Just think of us. Think of being an amazing woman in the middle who knows how to get help. You can start right here with my free Facebook group or any of the services that I offer. So here are all the details because as you know, my focus as a midlife coach is to help you get excited about your life again. Being the queen of your brain domain is the best way to be. So check out those show notes with more information and links at susierosenstein.com. You can download my free ebook, Nine Secrets to Get Unstuck in Your 50s, at www.susierosenstein.com forward slash nine secrets. Whenever you're ready, there are three great ways I can help you learn to think on purpose so you can get excited about your life again and really get moving. Get moving forward. 
The first way is to join the free Women in the Middle Facebook group. This is where you can connect with other amazing midlife women who are ready to start regret-proofing their lives too. Just head over to www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash women in the middle community. The other thing you can do is work with me directly. You can get coached. Unbelievably effective coaching to take you from being stuck and confused to being crystal clear about what you want and you'll know exactly how to make it happen. Just grab your free kickstart call at www.talktosuzie.com. And there's one more way. Get on the VIP waitlist for my new midlife membership, Finally First. This is an upbeat virtual community for midlife women just like you who want clarity, courage, and connection so that they can get excited about their lives again. Seriously. Just go ahead and sign up at www.coachwithsusie.com forward slash membership. Let's do this, ladies. Let's think on purpose. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.